What's up, everybody? Steven here, the Horror Freak 85, here with Miss Boomstick. And in just a little bit, not too long, we'll have uh, Tom McLaughlin will be joining us. And if he, of course, wrote and directed Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. Uh, so we'll be talking about that a little bit and what uh, possible plans there are for the Friday the 13th franchise since possibly there's talks about a movie next year but who knows then there was some other stuff going on that it was a tease so i don't know <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see so let's see welcome all right we got uh danny in here and cheetah's in here and he says welcome so yeah it's been about a year since uh we had you on <laughs> and, really? Gosh. yeah because the horror hound weekend is going on again this weekend but i'm home this time i'm not there <laughs> where, where are they doing it this, this time same, same, uh, since same place, yeah. Awesome. Every, yeah, <laughs> so I just couldn't make it this year, so it was working, but hopefully, I'll be going spooky, but we'll see. So, but uh, yeah, so how you been doing? Uh, what's new? What's new? Oh, god, um, so much, <laughs> so much <laughs> going on. Um, you know, ev everything sort of is like you know, pre COVID and post COVID. Um, mm -hmm. And then COVID was my period of going into, all right, now what am I going to do for my life now that I can't get to the people either in rock and roll, you know, live shows, that was over. And any material that I had, it's like, you know, we don't know what we're doing. We really can't take a look at anything right now. Agencies, of course, closed up and stuff. So I sort of used that, I guess it was like, what, year and a half, almost two years to just kind of do podcasts to, if there was a convention, try to take it, you know, and hope that they could, you know, somehow keep it going up until just before without having things shut down. I mean, we just had a, um, a Days of the Dead that they just couldn't get the right agreement with uh, Los Angeles. So they had everybody right up to like maybe a month away and then, you know, and I thought all this stuff was basically over, that if you just do this, this, and this, you can get in. But I guess it was far more complicated than that. So I just started writing. And um, that was the other kind of go-to thing to do. And um, one was obviously the, the Jason Never Dies script that I already pretty much had kind of in place. But because of the lawsuit, there wasn't a whole lot I could do with it. And then kind of the big thing um, has been the uh, creation of uh, the diary of Pamela Vordens. And that was something that um, I, I, I always watched the, the film franchise, uh, I, I'm sorry, the, the fan film franchise, <laughs> whole unique kind of cinema that, uh, which I think is probably one of the coolest things in the history of the movies, where people who love the movies who always wanted to make a movie, bonded together, threw their money together, as much money as you had, you know, you made this thing, and then if there was any extra or any profit, it would go to donations, you know, children's hospitals, things like that, which I thought, this is amazing, you know, because this whole business has been about how much money can I make, as opposed to what can I make that people really want to see, and then we kind of do something good with the, with the money afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it has its own sort of, pecking order of, you know, fans thinking, well, this is the best one, and well, this one was crap, but this one had some good things in it, but, the, you know, but pretty much like, you know, the movies, you know, when you do, uh, 
you know, sequels and stuff, everybody kind of weighs in and kind of decides if that was the first one they saw, they have a more open mind to it than after they've seen a couple of them. And uh, Vincent DeSante kind of set the bar with Never Hike Alone. And uh, that was the one that kind of everybody went, whoa, this is, you know, somebody can do this and people really like it. And there's been obviously quite a few since. Um, and I did another appearance um, in the uh, in the sequel to um, the uh, Vengeance films. You know, the first Vengeance um, was, uh, you know, a lot of fun. And it was based off of my idea of Jason's father. And C.J. Graham, who was my Jason, played Jason. And they asked me to play the caretaker. And I said, to do a scene opposite C.J.? Absolutely. So, you know, I did that. And they had a big premiere and actually did fairly well. So they've made another one that's coming out i think i guess the top of next year i thought it was going to be this year but i know they did some reshoots and stuff that so i think that's you know kind of pushed it off but vincent teamed up with this other guy um james sweet and they did one called uh jason rises and i saw it and i thought well these guys did a pretty good job so i called vincent and said you know congratulations again you did a really nice one and then i said and who's the guy down as director? He goes, this guy, James Sweet. And, you know, and I said, yeah, I have his number. So I called him to tell him I liked it a lot. And I said, what are you, what are you up to next? And he said, well, I don't know. I'm, you know, been tinkering some ideas. I really would love to do something that starts with Jason's birth and then kind of goes all the way through Crystal Lake up until, you know, when he dies. And I went, well, that's, that's cool. That would be something. I don't know why no one's done that yet. But, you know, I, I think Victor, certainly, that's what he wanted with the series. Um, so I, I hung up and then that night my head sort of exploded with ideas and possibilities. And I suddenly went, you know, this is something I would love to team up with him. If Vincent isn't going to be doing this because Vincent's making his own, uh, uh, actually featured film version of, uh, the Never Hike Alone, uh, franchise that he's created. So I talked to James and I said, you know, I've got some sort of like restrictions I would like to work with him to see if you're cool with that. And in other words, we meet Pamela on the, you know, the night of the birth of Jason. And then we basically see what happens to her and little Jason from his birth 10 years up until they hit Camp Crystal Lake in, uh, you know, 1956. So 46 to 56. And then that period of America was, when I got into it, a very scary period. And most people don't even think about it. You know, well, it was a big war and everybody... You know, that was all horrible. And then everybody came back and happy days are here again. And, you know, everything's going to be fine. Wrong. I mean, we lived, and the few of us that kind of remember, we lived in this horrible fear of communism coming in and taking over, of the Russians dropping one of those same bombs that we dropped on Hiroshima on us. Bomb shelters were being built. You know, middle America was in a very, you know, unsettled state of mind about what's going to happen. And then strange things that a lot of people don't think about, particularly now that obviously women are finally doing what they should have been doing. During the war, they got all the jobs that their husbands had, you know, while they were away. So when the war's over, you know, hubby comes back and says, you know, you're back in the kitchen. You're the baby maker. This is what their country wants, you know. And suddenly they, you know, they were really good at what they did, but now it was no longer uh, allowed. And there was a whole thing about, you know, we've got to, Repop, you know, get the population back up, and that's up to you, mother. And very, very strange situation. So into that world comes uh, 
basically a very kind of, I don't want to say too much about her background, but uh, Pamela has some deep issues from childhood on and then having a baby and then trying to raise this child by herself, kind of moving across the country, trying to find work, which was very difficult. And the fact that she had a child that most people looked at, like, you know, you got to put that kid in a freak show. I mean, that's the only way you're going to make any money. And anytime they insulted Jason, little by little, Pam started to get a little more incensed to the point where now we basically have in middle America, a female serial killer that it was sort of forgotten about. I mean, it's many things that she did and young Jason was kind of there as witness and part of it and kind of learned what we now know of how he thinks or what he thinks and that deep relationship between mother and son. Um, there's a lot of incredibly twisted things that we've come up with, but my objective with this is, this is very grounded in reality in that I want people to watch this and go, wow, I almost believe this was a real story about somebody like Eileen Warnos, Warnos who was a serial killer in the movie, you know, Monster, <laughs> or obviously a, a Norman Bates type mother-son relationship, except completely flipped, where obviously Jason doesn't speak. You know, he looks the way he looks, mother's defending him and trying to take care of him. And also she's slowly going deeper and deeper into, you know, pure, you know, psychotic behavior and um there's a lot of things kind of in that road along the way so we're both very excited about it uh last friday the 13th we announced that we have this sitting there and i've been trying to get it to victor's camp because i don't know if you know how this all broke down with friday is that sean cunningham basically gets jason with the hockey mask and anything that kind of has to do with jason I think the way I understand it is the title Friday the 13th is still with Warner Brothers and New Line. And then Victor can remake the original Friday the 13th and have Pamela and young Jason. And I think um, Tina and I think the camp itself, but again, I'm not too certain, but he doesn't have the rights to release this in Europe. So for somebody to want to get aboard, that means they got to make a deal with Sean. And if Sean wants to do something, I think over here, he's got to make a deal with Victor. So this is where we sit now. <laughs> These two guys and their lawyers going, okay, let's figure out how much you want if this guy gets a deal and how much you want if this guy gets a deal. And I, depending on how much they say they want, either it's going to be something that'll be affordable for them to do, uh, the studios, um, or in my case, I'm kind of looking at what we did as something that would be you know, incredible six or eight series uh, episode, you know, extended movie so that we really can kind of show that whole 10 years and all the things that happened. Um, and then if we wanted to, we could certainly go beyond that. We could certainly go into that period between the summer camp closing that first year that they got there. What did they do until the camp reopened again, which is then when Jason's death occurred. So there's a lot of, you know, things that can be mined, but it has to have Victor Miller's blessing because this is his baby. This is what he has the rights to. And so we're kind of waiting to see if there's a point when, you know, that will be accessible to us to, to speak with him. And meanwhile, there's all these rumors that are flying around, you know, something was on Sean Cunningham's, you know, site. And I think uh, 
there's another guy, um, Hill, um, somebody Hill, uh, somebody, no, Lee, what's his name? Uh, uh, Roy Lee, who's produced a ton of great horror movies. He was saying, well, you guys are going to hear about something before the end of the year. We don't know if that means Victor or if that means Sean. Many people I've spoken to, including lawyers and stuff, says it's all it's fans getting on their sites and making announcements and putting you know these things together when it doesn't really exist yet. But everybody wants to see it happen, and we've been all saying that now for about five, six years. So that's the you know that's the that's kind of where this is now. And uh, so James and I keep tweaking it, keep coming up with other ideas. Um, if you're fans, I think you're going to love well both premises either. You know, Jason in the in the winter uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, the other being the early days of, of Pamela to see what made her the way she is when we meet her in part one, and also how Jason actually became the monster that we now know him to be. And there's some just as I said, some amazing things we as we started to tinker around with that that we discovered. But do we have the rights to do anything? No. So we have to wait and see if we get, you know, the blessings, you know, from these guys, you know, when the time comes. Right. Yeah. Um, had a question. Do you have the rights to uh, Jason's dad since you had that idea? No, I don't. You know, when you when you write something uh, and basically that was in my shooting script, you you know, it, it goes over the Paramount. You know, they basically have the rights to all that. And a very freakish thing happened in terms of Victor Miller's deal um, that after 35 years, the rights of his story went back to him. And of course, that's what Sean was objecting to. It's like, no, it can't. But however things were worded or if, if he did it, if he was like a writer for hire as opposed to being part of production, I don't know all the brouhaha with the legalities. But no, Jason's uh, father was something, as, I, as most of you guys know, I wanted to do. And Frank Mancuso Jr. was afraid the fans were going to go, oh, no, it's going to be Jason's dad, not Jason. Because they were still steaming after part five. But, you know, it wasn't really Jason and Tommy Jarvis could have been him. And so when I got this call from these guys on uh, Vengeance and asked permission, I said, look, it's not mine to give or, you know, or have any benefit in it at all. But. I'd love to see you guys run with the ball. And I love the fact that they chose CJ to play the part. Because uh, that certainly is a you know wonderful bit of, you know, Friday 13 trivia. Um, and then, you know, as I said, they're going on to the second one. We all don't know what's going to happen once all the legal stuff finally gets settled. You know, is it going to be, you know, New Line Warners that has it? And they're going to go cease and desist on all the fan films? Or are they going to be embracing them in a way that it's like maybe as extras, you know, they'll put them on. I've heard, all, again, all kinds of theories because it's not like these guys were making tons of money. And the only reason people do lawsuits is, you know, hey, it's worth our time to go after them because they've got some money. These guys are broke. I mean, you know, they, they are living hand to mouth. They're doing it for the love. The fans are doing it for the love. It's really, in a, as I said, amazing part of cinema's history. That making movies because you couldn't get the ones you wanted. Yeah. Um, I do have a question. When you were talking about um, Pamela and like the possibility of what's going on through the years, did you have think of uh, any idea of like maybe the dad who was in war that tracked down and 
does return home and maybe that could like bring up some mental issues too. Well, you definitely hit upon something there. You know, <laughs> I, I can't go into too much detail, but yeah, the war okay. plays a big part in this and for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, part of it is, um, yeah, I mean, kind of the way we set up Mr. Voorhees is he was actually released early for reasons that had nothing to do about killing the Germans or the Japanese or anything else. He was a problem within the core itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming back and how he meets Pamela and where she had come from. And she was pretty naive and innocent and um, sort of the whole situation about her pregnancy and fathering and all that is all kind of wrapped up with a little bit different of a of a new uh, mythology. And everybody, you know, as you guys know, when somebody's a fan, it's like, no, this is what happened. And it's like, no, we made up this stuff, guys. I mean, it was like, <laughs> the second one was about, well, we can't make it about this kid. Well, why don't we make it, uh, you know, like now he's growing up. Well, what about Alice? She's going to look the same. Oh, we don't worry about that. And we, you know, and we'll put a bag over his head like the elephant man. So that'll be kind of, I mean, it was just, you know, it wasn't like we took this off of truth, you know, and each time you kind of do your own kind of variation. So I know when I got to mine, I went back to look at everything and tried to put together some kind of mythology that at least we could kind of talk about and then bring Jason back from the dead in a way that's like Frankenstein, obviously. And, and for me, he wasn't a zombie, which is why I had the sheriff shoot him right in the head. And, you know, CJ just did this and came back. And to me, it's like, okay, hopefully that kills any zombie rumors. But it, it, regardless, it still is, you know, the original Jason and then the zombie Jason from part six on. But again, that's not kind of the way I looked at it. But that's the thing is that, you know, we still can make up things and it's all a question of do the fans accept it and what both james who's also a very hardcore friday the 13th person and myself have tried to do is to really make it you know i say there's movie logic and there's real logic and the, the more times you're watching something and you go yeah that's kind of a little of both it's a little far-fetched but it could happen and then there's those times where it's completely you know like freddie i mean you know, rules, forget it, Freddy can do whatever the hell he wants. He's going in and out of dream realms and stuff. I remember when I was asked to do Freddy versus Jason, I was going, I don't know how you do that because they're two different worlds, but they eventually figured out a way to do it and everybody was happy with it. But it's, it's to me, like the, the Pamela thing is very much in a almost true crime, but incredibly intense, you know, in that vein, as I said, like Monster, Silence of the Lambs, exorcist you know where the characters are very grounded and real and what's happening is it's like something that is awful but for reasons that are very much from a past and triggers and chemically imbalanced i mean all the things that kind of fall into what makes a sociopath or a psychopath times 10 um and what's going into little jason at that age and the way he's being treated at that age all that stuff, again, breeds something that's very unique, you know, to, to horror history, you know, in my way of thinking. Jason never dies. Well, that's the Jason that coming back out of the lake, you know, where I, where I put him at the end of six. And it's in a different setting. These are girls that have never even heard of Jason. You know, this is 13 years later. So they don't know what the hell this 
this thing that's coming after them and, and has an agenda of some sort does. And so that falls more in the Sean Cunningham, you know, hockey mask, Jason. So, you know, one or the other, I'm hoping to do. To do both would be obviously incredible because they're very, very different Fridays. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Horror Lives Matter was wondering, aside from the time and budget constraints, what is the biggest difference between doing TV movies and theatrical films? Well, great question. That was something that, that you know, years ago, huge difference. Now, I hate to say it, but the really good stuff, guys, is being done on television. And I certainly wouldn't call them, you know, movies for TV. But I mean, what are we? I mean, all these great films that we should be seeing in the cinema, you know, you're seeing either on your phone, on your computer screen. Hopefully, you've got a decent big screen at home and you sit close and let it, you know, overwhelm you. Uh, last weekend, I went and saw Jaws twice. I went and saw the IMAX version, and I'm going, this is what this movie was born to be. I mean, it was incredible. Next day, I went and saw the 3D version, and Spielberg and this company have created this thing called Stereo D, you know, which is their version of 3D, which is a little more subtle, but I'm telling you guys, when you, if you, anybody's seen it, you know, all the water scenes, you're sitting there, and that water looks like it's in the second row of the theater. You know, it, it's, you know, the depth of field, the way... Spielberg did his shots and stuff with like Roy Scheider and a very tight close-up and stuff in the background. When they do this process to sort of separate them, it's a great 3D because it's kind of built right into what he had, you know, created in, in terms of the cinematography being very, very, you know, depth of field based. So it really worked. And it was so great to see a movie that obviously, you know, had such an impact on all of us. And you know, so many people have only seen it on TV. So I was begging people, you know, on Facebook, go, you've got to see this. You know, once in your life, you've got to see this epic movie on a huge screen like IMAX, because it was quite an experience. So getting back to the question, um, yes, so the TV movies that I was doing back in the day were very limited in terms of the budget. This sounds like it's a lot, but, you know, four million were like what those TV movies were done for. And most of that would go to CBS, NBC, ABC, USA, you know, Lifetime, any of the companies that you know, we made these things for. And you really had a few million to actually you know, make the movie. And, and there was always the pressure to try to get a star in there. And most of the film directors did not want to do it, and nor did they want to hire the film directors because they were more expensive. And they didn't feel that they could deliver these things in these 16, 18, you know, 20-day schedules. Those of us who had been doing low-budget independent type films were pretty savvy in that, you know. If you got lemons, you got to make that lemonade some way, somehow. And the filmmakers now today are doing these things so fast. And you've got technology, of course, that we didn't have with you know, making films. So, yeah, they, by and large, were a less... Um, I don't know, inventive. They, they really were shooting close-ups, like, like regular television, you know, over-the-shoulder shots, wide shots, kind of by the book. And I know when I went in, I said, I don't watch TV movies. I don't care to watch TV. I'm going to give you a film one way or the other and make it look as much like a feature film, you know, as I could, which is started with Sometimes They Come Back, which was released as a big cinemascope film in Europe. But then over here, it was on CBS. And so it, we have to do two different ways of making the composition, very square for television and then very wide for the feature version. 
But after that, all the ones that I did, I really tried to make them big and feel big. Now, as I said, it, they are so grandiose. I mean, the things once Game of Thrones and those kinds of series came on, you know, movies can't afford to do that anymore. Only, you know, Netflix and Amazon and HBO and stuff can do these things. So we're now relegated basically to the franchise movies um, because they've got big enough budgets and big enough audience that, yeah, they feel pretty rest assured. But little by little, stuff is starting to creep in there. And some good horror movies that have already made it to the screen, you know, like X, um, I'm going tomorrow night to see Barbarian, which I've heard some incredible things. If it lives up to the, you know, hush-hush hype, it, <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be quite a surprising, you know, movie uh, as a horror movie. Um, you know, The Black Phone. I mean, there's been a lot. And, of course, we've you know, got the new final Halloween, hopefully, to look forward to. Um, I was a little disappointed on the last one. Loved the first one, the new entry, but the last one I was a little... I don't know, a few things kind of bother me, but I, I'm hoping they go full out on this one. And yeah. give everybody, you know, kind of what they Maybe have. they'll bring the lady with the iron back. <laughs> <laughs> I never noticed it when I first seen it until I started seeing all the memes go around. And I thought yeah. it was so hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, there, I had a few issues too with it too. But other than that, I, I really liked some of it. It was like so brutal then compared yeah. to the rest of them. I liked that part of it, but like them kept repeating you know it ends tonight or whatever it was over and over yeah. again that got annoying they put the morgue in like the main level of the hospital where like everybody was at i thought that was stupid but <laughs> it was well, just I, a few minor things i mean i'll tell you what you know my problem really was is that jamie lee was bound to that room and unless we believe michael myers is going to come into that room with everybody else which kind of didn't really make sense she was going to be stuck there talking about all this stuff and not out there kicking ass like she did in the previous one and obviously what's going to happen in this last one so yeah. movies as all you guys know is about people taking action not talking about what they're going to do or not talking about after it happened <laughs> let's see it you know it's all about what somebody does and so that was very frustrating to me and as a result I almost felt it in the acting from jamie and, and those guys that they were way up on their level because it's like they they wanted to be more emotional than what they were actually involved with you know because they were taken aside and you know like you say that whole you know evil dies tonight you know it's like okay we get it yes. and you know the, the uh, what's his name uh, anthony michael hall michael anthony hall <laughs> oh anthony michael hall yeah anthony michael hall. yeah even he to me was like kind of at 11 the whole time in terms of his delivery and then by the time he said i'm sorry i kind of went you know down to nine or eight but that also bothered me because it, it, that performance could have been really kind of nuanced and things that could happen but it just felt like everything just went on loud and intense not to say it didn't have some great stuff i mean coming out right yeah in the fire and some of the stuff was you know some great yeah. kill all that it's always something great but it's I like, like the subtlety of putting little bits of the third movie in both of the new ones. And how they did Donald Pleasance was amazing. Yeah. You know? yeah. Still that, that kind of stuff. And I'm curious if they're going to try to do anything like that you know, this time around, bring back anybody in some way. Right. But we'll see. <laughs> we have another month or so. 
Yeah, next month. Yep. And I guess, I mean, I'd much rather see in the theater, but I guess the same day they said they were going to be putting it on Paramount and theater. Yeah, yeah. they did that with the uh, uh, kills as well, because I remember, yeah. at least I think so, because I remember seeing it pretty quickly, because our theater hardly plays anything good. So, so I, I basically, I have to rely on the streaming service to see anything, because we have one theater, and that's about it. And I'm not able to really travel too far out just to go see a movie <laughs> and they did have, I love uh, to but it's a little difficult too they did have like a little uh advertised i don't know if it was on um facebook or whatever but jamie was saying how you'll want to see it at the theater you want to go home and watch it and then go back to the theater and someone had and then someone had a theory that maybe the streaming one might have a different ending than the theatrical because they did have a couple different endings. So maybe they might show a different version on streaming than theater, but not saying that it's yeah. true, but but someone had that thought maybe. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's a it's a nice thought, but you know, if you were stuck as, as, as you were just saying about I can't get to a theater and then you found out there was another one, you'd be pissed. I mean, it's like <laughs> Why did I get this one? There's this other one, you know. Yeah, I think it's. I think what she's saying is the same old thing of like, see it on the big screen, then go back and check. Just it out watch it again at home. Yeah, you can go see it again, you know. <laughs> and that's what made all these things work is is the, how many times you went back. And of course, you, usually it was always to the theater, so the you know box office kept going up. Um, right. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I I can't say I'm against streaming because it's bringing stuff that you might not have gone to see in the theater um, yeah. as high as the theater prices are now. But, you know, I'm one of those guys that have never stopped and it was so hard during the pandemic. And the second I knew I could go to a drive-in, <laughs> off I went on Friday night, <laughs> whatever it took, you know, that thing of getting out of the house, going someplace, being around other people, you know, obviously we had to keep a distance, but then when that, you know, finally that wall dropped, it was just so great going to concerts again and, you know, being part of that energy and nothing, nothing's like it with horror movies, as you guys know, it's just, you know, and when they're working and everybody's on the ride, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, what other young directors and actors are impressing to you? Wow. Um, God. Um, there's been so many that I, I'm terrible at names. I've, I've always said that when I when I make movies, I know everybody by kind of faces, and I can see somebody forty years later and go, "Hey, yeah, you're my grip on the But even on the set, I'm terrible with names. I can kind of, I guess, bring up people's work, and I might not know their names specifically. Um, but a uh, young woman who did the uh, the new version of uh, Candyman, I. I didn't know where she came from. I know Jordan Peele was, you know, founder and did that. And I thought, you know, for a director that I had not heard about, I thought she did a really amazing job on it. Um, you know, still kind of mixed uh, with Jordan Jordan's work because the first one was, you know, Get Out was a hands down motion picture, picture classic. And yeah. us, I loved a lot of it, but I, maybe again, too high expectations. And sort of like M. Night Shyamalan after he, you know, he did The Sixth Sense. It's like, okay, are you gonna twist the ending again? Or are we gonna go for it? And after a couple of twists that didn't quite work, you know, it took a while to me for him to kind of get back his sea legs and, and start doing things, you know, really, really well again. Um, there's been all these little small indie movies um, that I keep, you know, somebody will call me and say, oh, check this out on Shudder. And 
I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank now of something just recently that, um, as I mentioned, Barbarian, I'm hearing amazing things about. I, I, I'm trying not to get myself too overhyped before seeing it. I know, that's um, the thing. I hate when you get all hyped up about a movie and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that I didn't really want to see, and because I teach uh, film production at Chapman University Dodge College that I, every semester I have like 40 young people between the ages of like 18, and now like this semester I've got grad students who go all the way up to 30, who all have basically an idea, and it starts with the idea, and, and then we develop a story into a script, you know, into casting, the whole process up to screening it on a big screen at the university that seats, I guess, about a thousand people. So they really get the whole kettle of fish <laughs> from the beginning to the, to the end. And I try to, you know, see what they're into and what, you know, what did you see that's great that you can pass along? And, you know, trying to get their reactions to both, you know, older movies, which a lot of them have not seen, and then some of the newer ones. And of course, the big thing not too long ago was the Batman. And, you know, all I heard that it was yet another Batman movie, and it was, what, three and a half hours long. And I thought, okay, I've got to stay on the same page with these guys. I got to see if there's some. And I was absolutely blown away and did my kind of classic research as I do on any movie that just really affects me on the internet, looking up every, you know, put the name in, look up every single podcast, every single interview, everything, you know, trying to figure out how the filmmakers thought, what were some of the behind the scenes, just that whole wonderful thing of, I just saw an incredible magic trick, illusion. I want to figure out how the magicians did that. And when I started researching the Batman and realized that, man, he was like pulling from very personal things with the relationships with the characters and that it worked so well with what we were just coming out of and sort of the frustration and the anger um, that the bat when the Batman grabbed somebody, I mean, he beat the living crap out of them, harder and more violent than ever before. But again, he had all this rage from his parents still that he had not put into any kind of perspective. And, you know, obviously having a love interest that he really couldn't pursue and the styles, everything in that, I went, well, it is a horror movie on a lot of levels, but it's, you know, it's also a drama and a kind of a futuristic feeling that also feels very much today. And the way he did the makeup and things wasn't really cartoony. It was sort of deformed and and weird and their minds were weird. And all that, I, I found myself going back a couple times, you know, to see that um, and found that to be one of those things like, it, it should get under your skin, you know, and it, the detective aspect of it, it's kind of seen through his eyes. Again, the style of it, I thought was really quite wonderful. Right. I was really surprised with that Batman. I was really not expecting it to do as well as it did. But yeah, we was pleasantly surprised by it and we enjoyed yeah. it quite a lot. Yeah, a lot, a lot of work went into that and, and in the right way. Because they, as I even you know, tell the young kids that I'm, you know, teaching, directing, and production, and all that. You know, first off, you've got to find where's the love in this story. Twisted, you know, real, imagined. Everybody somehow can connect. Somehow, there's something that's, you know, even the Jason Pamela thing. That is, that there's an incredibly bonded love, but it's also very twisted. There's a lot of people, you know, it, it happens, and 
people who think that, you know, they're beating their kids for all the right reasons, you know, those kids have to carry those, those pains and stuff. And when you ground a lot of this stuff in things that are real, real things that happen in our lives, but you exaggerate them in some way, you give Jason, you know, this faceless entity that can take care of problems when you yourself are frustrated and can't. A lot of these things are very, you know, subconscious that, that occur in certain movies. And then you get a, you know, a villain like Hannibal Lecter, who we were all applauding when he walked off at the end. You know, back <laughs> out. He was a great villain. I mean, he really was somebody that we liked, you know, despite how sick and twisted, you know, his character was. So it's all those things that somehow that relatability is, is so important, no matter what genre, you know, you're shooting. But it tends lots of times in fantasy and sci-fi and, and horror kind of get forgotten about over the effects, you know, over the over a, a particular style that they're trying to do, you know, the you know, the found footage style that it's all about that as opposed to are we caring about anybody or relating to anybody here? Is that guy my best friend? I know what that's like to deal with a, a guy like that. I mean, those are the things that a lot of people don't realize that you, when you tune in and that's happening, you're bored, you know, because you are identifying. And it's, it's not, you're sitting back going, oh, that's cool. Yeah, okay. oh, I like that. I mean, that's a whole different thing, you know, uh, like sports cars. <laughs> you don't know much about the guy driving, but you see what the sports car does. And I think in movies, you've got, and TV, obviously, the, the, the movies and the series and stuff that we have now, you've got to be invested, you know, and, uh, so you're more, so I guess you could say uh, more into villains that you like and want to see win or can relate to, or villains that you like hate and meant to hate, if that makes sense. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? Or Yeah. So well, uh, the two, uh, you prefer like more relatable villains then? Well, no, it's, 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 and again, I hope you guys can, you know, you guys all out there who are listening or seeing me um, can understand like with the script that you know we finished on uh, Pamela and Jason, there is a lot of empathy for both of those characters in that we see why Pamela's doing what she's doing. And we also kind of feel sorry for this life that Jason didn't ask for, but then how he gains his strength <laughs> and how he starts to do the things he does. There are times when we sort of are, you know, celebrating what she does to somebody who is you know, really done nasty. And then when you hear how she's rationalized it and how she explains it to Jason and how the two of them can bond on this, it's far more chilling because we're going, yeah, I can see why you want to do that. You know, you're going to check, you know, it's not just some scary person, it's you, you know, it's, it's tapping upon something that any, any kid who's ever gone, you know, you know, I, I don't want to see my parents die, but I sure wish they wish they'd go away and get out of my life. And I want to do my own thing or, you know, this kid at school, I, boy, would I love to. And movies can kind of let that, you know, out, you know, let you feel that through another character. But if you don't relate to them, if you don't understand kind of what they're going through personally, it, it's it's not that same connection that makes you, I mean, Lori, you know, in, in the first Halloween, you know, we were right there with her, you know, and... She was us. And anytime you have that, Ellen Burstyn and The Exorcist, she was us going through that. Doesn't mean, doesn't matter she was a big movie star and stuff. She had a daughter and we cared about that little girl. It's that element that I think when that works, you have a 
far more long lasting and caring, you know, where you care about the movie as well as seeing it. And to me, that was brought back again with seeing Jaws last weekend, that every one of those characters, you know, were great. And the only asshole was the mayor. And basically, you know, he didn't get killed, but he got his comeuppance, you know, that his kids were out there too. He was going, yeah, open the beaches and it's gonna be, you know, lunch for, for Bruce the shark there. But all of those things that they really thought about in the, in the movies back then are sometimes missing in some of the things we get now. And the ones that do get back and tag it and get you involved, you know, are really the stronger ones. I do love the idea where he was talking about, you know, talking about the backstory with Pam and Jason growing up. One of my little theories I'd put is almost a little bit similar, but something they explain, you know, from the time period of Jason jumping out of the water till he like pops up as an adult, like something to like kind of explain that. But if you do like the background, that's an even better <laughs> than that little tidbit. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we certainly, did a lot of theories back and forth. And my feeling was quite honestly to not go into that terrain on this version. And part of that has to do with the very simple thing in all good movies. The main character, you know, the, the you know, protagonist has a want or a need that they want or need to fulfill by the time you get to the end of the movie. If they don't have something there that we kind of understand and it's pulling us along, by the time you get to the ending, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's all right. I guess that's okay. But if it's something that's fairly clear and either they get this thing, they don't get this thing, they get something better, you know, it, whatever that is, we need to sort of know at a certain point or at least psychologically feel sort of the subtext of what that is or the subconscious aspect of that. And it we're curious to see which of these two people that, especially if they're in conflict, is going to win. And what I tried to do with, you know, uh, Jason Lives was that Jason was happy being down there. He didn't need to be dug up by Tommy. I mean, particularly he didn't need to be electrified and back up and killing people again. Um, and this is true of all the great monsters, Dracula, wanted to be dead, Frankenstein wanted to be dead, the Wolfman did not want to be the Wolfman. All of these, you know, characters always had this regret that they had to live the life they were living. And I felt like with Jason, when Tommy does this to him, that's his target. He is going to get this damn kid, you know, and anybody that comes in his way, you know, is going down. But it wasn't like he was just randomly killing. Sometimes he would end up, something would, you know, take him off course, like Court and uh, Nikki's trailer bouncing up and down he was like what the, you know and then that leads to you know two other kills but a lot of it was that you know he was going back to crystal lake and he was looking for this kid and tommy obviously do he screwed up and he had to figure out some way to get jason back into the grave and then realized in doing some you know studying you know the same rule like with poltergeist you got to get the body back to where it originally you know died so it was the, my logic was he's got to go back into the lake and be chained down to the bottom of Crystal Lake. So we have this kind of classic, iconic, he's down there, he's chained down there, and one of these days he might get out. It's, we didn't know if there was going to be a part seven. You never know until you, know, you see how they do. Um, but that was you know kind of going with that sort of give them an agenda. 
And the same thing with Pamela and, and you know, little Jason in the beginning, of course, doesn't until as the thing proceeds, you begin to see what his mother's influences are starting to do on him. And then there's a huge kind of surprise element that comes into both of their lives that kind of puts them in the place they are when they finally get the Crystal Lake. And, you know, rather than have, you know, a summer where nothing really going to happen, nobody's going to die that summer, whatever. I thought that was sort of a way of saying this is kind of where Pamela's, she doesn't know the place, but she knows there's some place that's their forever place. There's something, you know, and it's all sort of, oh, okay, we know where, you know, that is as fans. But I also wanted the movie to be, if you've never seen a Friday the 13th and you watch the Pamela Voorhees tapes, it completely works as a horror thriller, you know, film with two very unusual, you know, characters that are at the core of this thing, um, you know, causing you know, the, the, the craziness and the, and the murders to happen purely because they're rubbing these two, in particular Pamela, the wrong way. And um, so, she, and she gains a strength and a way of thinking, which we hear in her diary, you know, as the movie goes on. So we actually get inside of her head, which I thought would be really interesting. I know there was one point, I think it was maybe two years ago or something, Stephen King talked about, you know, doing a book called I, Jason, where we would hear you know, what Jason was thinking about, which everybody, I think, got very excited and thought it was like a very cool idea. Um, and I, you know, thought, well, for me, it doesn't, it's not the same as having somebody who's the more active one, who was the killer in the first one, you know, before Jason really took over the reins. Um, so that kind of, that, that sense of, what, what is going on in somebody's head when they're thinking these things or what are, how are they feeling or what is it that motivates them um, to write, you know, because it's a very personal thing and you get a very intimate side of her that she would never show or tell somebody else, but in her diaries, you know, you get the, you get the benefit of what she's really feeling. Um, another question from Horror Lives is they're not a danger if you add too much drama, will you lose the horror? Another excellent question. Obviously, a horror fan. I I think about that all the time. Um, because it's true. If you know it, it depends what you think um is a really, really good horror movie. And it's different for a lot of horror fans. Some want it to, you know, start pedal to the metal and go for 90 minutes of hack slash bang, you know, and a little bit of dialogue, a little bit of dope smoking, a little sex, and then back into it, you know, sort of their way, or torture porn, where it's really setting up people that you're gonna torture until they die. Or there's the things like that I was bringing up, like, you know, Jaws, Exorcist, Silence of the Lambs, Monster, where the drama and the horror are a blend. I mean, you are getting very horrific situations for somebody uh, where they are treated a certain way that you don't want them to be treated like that and you also know from the horror side of it somebody's going to suffer for this and i can hardly wait to see so there's that kind of um, anticipation um, hitchcock years ago used to talk about in his movies there was a difference between a shock and suspense and a shock would be the example he used is you know, two guys sitting at a table playing cards and, you know, and they're playing and stuff and suddenly, boom, there was a bomb under the table we didn't see that went off and these guys are blown smithereens. 
we're shocked, they were shocked. Or there's two guys playing cards, and as they're playing, the camera goes down and we see the ball underneath the table. And it goes back to them playing cards, and now the camera starts moving in on the ball. Now they're you know getting more intense and it's getting closer. So now we're going, okay, that thing's gonna go off, okay, suspense. So when it finally does, you know, it 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 doesn't have the same obviously effect as a shot does, but it does have that same, oh, you know, there's a relief there. So in drama, to me, it's the same thing. If you can set this up, it's all kind of part of where it's going to go. Maybe you don't know quite what the aftermath is going to be. Um, after something happens, is it going to cause another incident to happen? But it's a, to me, it's a question of engaging you and keeping you there and making sure that everyone you know, that follows that's either a kill sequence or a confrontation sequence has something that just takes it another level. You know, um, or if you did like Hitchcock did in Psycho, you know, we saw the big thing a half hour in, you know, and nothing was as incredible as that was. And it also shocked people because that was the lead of the movie that she's dead, you know, 30 minutes into the movie. That was amazingly revolutionary. Um, but then the rest of it was sort of suspense. Everybody that came in there, what is Norman going to do to them? Um, so it kind of had that element to it. But yeah, I think like with any of these, the ones that really are the most entertaining are the ones that just kind of grab your imagination. And hopefully there's a tone that feels right to you, that's scary, a feeling that, of isolation or claustrophobia or whatever. So again, that all sort of plays in, which I don't necessarily look at as just drama. It really is leading towards you know something that's going to be horrific, obviously, if that's the kind of genre you've come to see. Uh, let's see. Have Cheetah wants to know, did uh, Victor want Jason to die at, in the franchise ended? Another really good question. Uh, from what I've read, and maybe a lot of you guys did more reading on it than I did, but I tried to do as much as I could before I did Jason Lives. I got the sense that he, he wanted Jason to be a fairly normal kid that was maybe just a little slow you know, and he couldn't swim and things. And his mother, you know, took him to this camp and she got a job as a cook. And then the camp counselors were obviously screwing around and weren't keeping an eye on him. And he drowned. And she went, you know, over the top nuts. And I think there was something that was written later about um, her going into an institution for a short time because she was so, you know, went so psychotic over the whole thing and then came back and started lighting fires at the camp and, and poisoning the water and stuff to try and not let the camp reopen so that nothing could happen to another kid. And I think it was Tom Savini, the makeup person, that decided to make him look this kind of, you know, I think in those days it's called like mongoloid face, you know, that, that really looked like that was the way Jason looked. And that kind of stuck and from what I can tell, Victor basically accepted that as, all right, that works. The jump, you know, because it was a carry, the jump scare from carry that everybody had just seen and thought, oh, we've got to have one of those at the end of this. Um, because his script, um, you know, Pamela got decapitated and the last thing you saw was um, Tina sitting there with Mrs. Voorhees' head in her arms looking at the camera, almost like Norman Bates, like she's going to be, you know, the next killer. 
but when they decided on this, you know, cherry kind of jump scare at the end, that sort of changed all those rules. And still they brought Tina back on the next one, but as we said, the logic kind of, of the timeline, it's a little wonky there, unless you believe that, you know, somehow her thing was a dream and that it really didn't happen. And so Jason has been out there and he saw his mother be decapitated. One of the theories, looking at the movie again, a few weeks ago, um, we have a wonderful thing out here, guys. And you should, wherever you are, try to campaign for this over the summer. Find some park where you can do those inflatable screens and run movies and have people come. We had a thousand people here in Griffith Park with this thing called uh, Synespia and seeing the original Friday the 13th all together. And it was like a thousand to two thousand people all sitting on blankets, picnic. They had, you know, the canoe, they had the sign, you know, and it looked great. The sound was great. And so many of the people never saw it on a screen before, much less with a crowd. You know, it was just great. But, you know, sitting there and seeing the movie again now after all this, you know, I was kind of watching the police as they arrived and how they were looking at her out of the boat and things. And it became to me very clear that she was out of that boat and, you know, they saw her there, but yet she had this, I don't know, I guess maybe they could say that she spaced out and forgot all that and then woke up and said the boy. And it's like, no, we never saw a boy. So, you know, it, it all kind of has that thing of um, what you want to, you know, believe or how much you study the movie to, you know, to see what is it that, that they're saying or not saying you know, in it. Because the, the bottom line, guys, it, it's in those days, and it's, I guess, still today, what can you know get a reaction you know what can have people say that was cool or if you're doing you know these long things um you know like the uh the extended version of uh, the haunting of hill house and things and going for eight nine episodes you know you've got to find a way to keep it interesting and going and building and stuff as opposed to you know we just got to make you know 90 minutes of wham bam and you know get in and get them talking so they come back the next week with their friends uh, let's see another horror lives matter question do you feel there is too much messaging in modern horror films example i guess wokeness a horrible phrase he said but um <laughs> uh, I, I feel like i was sort of one of the first perpetrators of that uh kind of thing because i did obviously jason lives and i when i went in i went I mean, don't we know this already? And shouldn't we like be making sort of, I've seen enough horror movies uh, knowing that anybody in a hockey mask is never friendly or in the mask, whatever the hell I said. But, you know, and there was a lot of that, you know, looking at the audience and you have a strange idea of entertainment and stuff, you know, that I put in there just again to kind of have a sort of a irreverence about what we're doing, but hopefully still delivering a horror movie and hopefully delivering people that, you had fun being with before they were killed. Um, you know, maybe two years, three years later, something like that, I was sent a script called um, Scary Movie. And I started reading it and I'm going, God, this is, so, this is such a like, kind of a nod to other horror movies and stuff. And I said no to the script. I said, I've already kind of done one of those. I don't want to do another one. And then after about six months of reading nothing but junk, I came back and I said, hey, where's that Kevin Williamson script? And, Oh, you know, too late, William. Uh, uh, Wes Craven took it. Oh, okay. Well, he'll do a good job. 
and of course franchise a franchise in terms of being hip and you know super duper extremely hip on the last one which for me at this point now i sort of feel like we've done it so much that it sort of takes me out of the movie i'm more listening to the the hipness of you know making comments on stuff as opposed to just kind of being with the characters and things are sort of you know accidental that they you know somehow there's a throwback to something before that you would know if you knew something about the genre um but i don't know it, it some of the stuff yeah I, I i agree that sometimes they're smarter than they should be for the kind of movie that they are but i can't fault the filmmaker for saying i want to put my vision to this and what i want to do with it and i want to have this little message and i guess if the message is subtle enough and you kind of feel it but don't feel like it's preaching to you on any, in any movie, you know, anything like that feels like, you know, we're at church now, we're not in the movie theater, <laughs> you know, we're, we're here to hear a spiritual message and, and some sound bites that we can take in for the rest of our week, as opposed to just having stuff happening and it's just great to react to it um, because it surprises you, you know, when it happens. But when there's too much of something that you become conscious of, it's just like the camera movie and it's like, geez, stop all the jittering with the camera. But if it's working for a particular scene, you don't even notice it. You know, it's part of the storytelling. Um, and Jason Libs, how did you balance the likability of the characters that were uh, destined to be slaughtered by Jason? Uh, very engaging supporting cast in Jason Libs, which is unusual in the franchise. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. That was something that was a huge marching order for me. And part of it came from during the 70s and 80s, you guys, going to see, you know, low, low budget horror movies when it was still something that was really sort of despicable, you know, other than like the Roger Corman, you know, Edgar Allan Poe movies, which were fairly bloodless and psychological, but there was a lot of, you know, just, you know, a spit on your grave and some stuff that was like, oh, you know, it just throws people out or Night of the Living Dead, you know, we could only see that at midnight, you know, and go or Eraserhead and those things. But a lot of the movies that started to be made, they were setting up these really kind of dislikable and nasty and mean and rapist and, you know, all these kind of characters that the audiences that I was seeing them with in downtown LA and different places, they were yelling at the screen, you know, kill that bitch. Yeah. River cut. Yeah. Fucker. Yeah. I mean, it was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this, this is like to me pushing the wrong button. Um, and it, it just became like, I, I don't like these characters. I don't care if they die. You know, I, I found myself very removed. So I sort of went into this looking like it's like a, like a comedy or even a, you know, a, a drama that's like not lighthearted, but where they get into a situation and everything seems fine. And even the original Friday the 13th, those characters were all likable. They, you know, they all liked each other and there was a really nice vibe between all of them. I was sort of trying to get back to that feeling that this is a group that, you know, knows each other a little bit and gets to know each other a little better. And then wham, you know, they're put into this awful game of survival, you know? Um, and that to me was a really important thing. And I, I was a huge fan of the thirties and forties comedies where they talk really fast and they're very witty. And to me, that makes somebody sound very smart and very, you know, I mean, those people that you go, God, I wish I would have said that. That was such a great one-liner. 
and you have those people in life that just you know are so funny when they come up with stuff off the cuff and i wanted these characters to kind of have that ability that, that sort of sarcastic humor back and forth like with megan and tommy you know they're attracted to one another but there was a lot of little you know you know come on you know lover lips or whatever you'd, you'd make little things that were very much like the old kind of slang back in the 30s and 40s and that to me also sort of set these characters up like oh did you have to kill that one you know, i like her or oh, i like sissy why did you have to go and i was more wanting that to happen that that there were people that you didn't want to see go um and that's be more of the horror of these things uh, but but people die you know and it's it's sad and our movies really for the first time making jason kind of the hero um which i don't think was the case as much in the other ones where he was like the star you know and you know all the rest of it pretty much you know now he goes to manhattan now he goes to outer space now he goes to hell but Jason becomes the thing, you know, Friday the 13th kind of is, you know, put in the back. But I still wanted to happen on Friday the 13th. I still wanted to be at the, at the camp, but I couldn't think for a million years if I was a parent, why I would let my kid go to Camp Crystal Lake where it had all those murders. But if it's now Forest Green, oh, so, okay, no, I hadn't heard of that. That sounds good, you know. But as Tommy says, Jason, all he knows is that's Camp Crystal Lake to him. He's going back to the old turf. No matter what they call it. So, right. Yeah, you can change the name, but you can't change its history. <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, else? I lost internet for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to log in on my phone, but it was having issues. It didn't want to log in. I was just about ready. I stole my husband's phone. I was about ready to log in with that, but then it popped up. I was like, well, never mind. And I got some go back on the computer. Was it storming there or you just lost? We have one phone? coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's probably because our internet, I think, goes through Madison. So it's probably hitting Madison right now because we had hiccups last night, too. So. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're so goofed up out here that all the heat. I, mean, I don't think, I mean, I've lived here for <laughs> seven decades, folks. Um, and the weather these last few weeks has been like unlike anything before in terms of just constant high 90s and 100 you know we would always have the sunny you know southern california thing but the, the constant heat and even today last couple of days it's been overcast but still you know 100 degrees and overcast very different la so it gets back to another movie i made years ago the fire next time which is all about global warming and what kind of happens you know once we get to that certain point where water becomes scarce and fires break out and you know it was it was a weird movie to do because we were talking about you know kind of America thirty years into the future, and yet we're now at that point where the movie was set. And some of it's happening. A lot of it, thank God, it, it hasn't happened. But it, it was really you know great to work with people that worked on Blade Runner. You know, futurist thinking. And I was saying, yeah, I want a future where everybody gets shipped from Radio Shack. You know, fix things <laughs> and stuff. It's not like you've got these great toys. You, you get stuff that you know anybody can buy you know that helps conserve you know power and energy and the cars look a little different you know the way they're they're powered and things and but you know a lot of that never happened so yeah that's funny like um when back to the future came out and they went to the future in the year it's like where's our hoverboards they never happened i know <laughs> that would have been fun all the, ground, all the grounds and hover, hoverboards you'll wait for them 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> um, let's see if there was any other questions here. No, nothing yet. Um, since uh, I thought of something uh, sort of relating to the Pamela, um, the history of it, um, do you always enjoy learning about history? Did you do some research for the script? Yeah, a lot. Um, and a lot of it was stuff that I didn't necessarily mean to, I wasn't looking for something specific. I was just trying to get a sense of what things were like in 1946 and all the way up to 1956, kind of what was the climate of the country, the coasts, as opposed to middle America, where I'm, you know, basically James and I are setting this, because I want her to be able to move from small town to small town without it being, you know, like a big, you know, police chase or anything. Because when you think of the late 40s, early 50s, you know, there wasn't, you know, things were still telephones and, you know, you know, if somebody comes in that has, you know, and they still do the descriptions and stuff, but yeah, nobody's really thinking, you know, a woman and this small child, uh, and eventually Pamela has to do something to cover this face because it's just too much attention. And what I found that is absolutely, I think very few people even know about this that also came out of the war, but it is so creepy looking at you guys. <laughs> And so logical that this is something that when Jason saw it, he would respond to it. Um, and we've done some illustrations um, of this incredible guy, Walter Figueroa, who did the drawings and stuff that are in the, uh, the big, uh, what's the name, what have name for that? The big uh, box set uh, the uh, Screen Factory did. I don't know if there's an actual name for that one, but that's all the movies and all the extras and stuff. But I have you know, for Jason that never dies, I have some of his sketches in there for how I've seen Jason and some of the sequences and having him do some stuff for, for, for us on this. And it just looks so amazing because it's taking something that you kind of recognize as something like that he will he wear it later on, but it's not that at all, but it fits kind of perfectly at that time after the war. And a lot of the places that they go to and a lot of the places they hide, um, you know, because they, you know, sometimes she's got money for room or motel or whatever. And other times she's got to get a job and get money. And, and so it's a really like kind of hard existence that they have. And they run into a lot of very unusual characters. Um, some that are out of fact of what has happened with the country. Some that totally not, you know, there's, just an interesting person. Um, but most people, because this, again, what was happening in this country at that time, if you were a stranger coming into some town where everybody basically knows each other, you were kind of suspect that maybe this is something to do with that communist stuff we've been hearing about. Because nobody quite understood it, but it was being broadcast constantly and come, you know, the early 50s when they had the, um, that whole uh, campaign on on. American activities and they were having all these people, you know, put on trial while people watched on early television or on the radio, it sounded really bad. And they made people that were not bad people, you know, be the, the villains in these pieces. And, but it caused everybody else to go, what the hell's going on with the world today? I know. So it wasn't like everything got so wonderful as, as a lot of people thought after the war and we got into the 50s and the 
you know, that, that whole, you know, all have a car and a house and kids and things. And then by the time, you know, we got the sixties, which was kind of my generation, you know, we were the, the people going, no, it's gotta be about love. It can't be about money. It's gotta be about peace and rock and roll and weed. And, you know, we were in that, that next you know generation, but we're, it's like kind of ending this at 56 where none of that happened, but rock and roll, you know, obviously started to come in there 54, 55, you know, and of course Elvis, you know, uh, it was great seeing the new Elvis movie. I thought they did an amazing job with that. But that was an exciting period also to be, you know, a teenager and, and like, this is our music, you know, everybody, adults hate it, but this is us, you know, and we went through that too with the 60s, the, the, you know, the whole drug culture thing and Woodstock and Monterey Pop where I was uh, and got to see those incredible rock and rollers for the first time. Um, we really felt like, you know, we had a united, you know, it's like a united headspace. We all were kind of on the same page of what the world should be like. And war and all that stuff did not filter into it. And things, it's like, I, I'm just not sure. I keep trying to get the, the temperature of, of the kids who just kind of got out of high school. And are they looking forward to the future? Are they, do they like the music of today? Do they like the movies of today? But I, I got to tell you, so many of them like stuff from before. Or if they like yeah. a mashup or something, there's some element that's new, but it's sort of the old element that kind of, you know, they gravitate towards. Um, and I keep saying, you know, I'm hoping something comes along so you have your own sound, you know, your own films and things that you go, you know, these are great. Um, as opposed to now, you know, they'll show, you know, Flashdance, they'll show Footloose, they'll show, uh, uh, what's the dancing with the other one, Patrick Swayze. Um, Dirty Dancing? Dirty Dancing. Back in the theaters again for a weekend, you know, to celebrate the 30th, 40th, whatever, you know, Greece is, you know, playing this weekend in a number of theaters. And people are going because it's like, yeah, I love that movie. And they, now they get to see it on the big screen, which is cool. And then a lot of new movies, you know, nobody's like, I don't want to see that. It's, it's sort of hard to get people to discover them unless they stay home and kind of, you know, cruise the you know, the stations and see if they find something or if something sounds great, it's on Shutter this weekend or, you know, Netflix. I mean, there's there's so much stuff to pick from. I, I, I'm overwhelmed. I, I, you know, they go, oh, you got to binge this. And it's like, well, I'll binge like two of them. And then it's like, you know, I got to go to bed. I, you know, I'll pick this up. Certain ones I do come back to. Other ones, it's like that, that next week you hear this other thing, you got to see this. So I got so <laughs> many choices and all you have to do is go, with your remote as opposed to get up you know go have something to eat you know get in the car park pay whatever that is get in the theater buy the popcorn you know and by the end of the night you know if you brought a date you know you're in 80 to 100 bucks and if the movie sucked shit you know like we should have just stayed home you know yeah. so I, I, it's hard to make sure that you get you know you get something you know out of that that amount of money you got to put out to go out and have fun yeah, it was great what you said about like the kids. Like my son's seventeen, and he doesn't really listen to like any music that's out now. He listens like Frank Sinatra and stuff like that, like a lot of the older music. And he yeah. loves ACDC and stuff like that. And I don't think there's a single new artist that I don't even know half the new artists because <laughs> I quit listening to the radio for a couple years now. So I've listened to stuff that I have like 
on my CDs or whatever. And then he listens to older stuff. I don't even know like a lot of new musicians because we don't even listen to it. I, I try to keep up. I mean, I not that the Grammys are any barometer of what's the best stuff out there by any means, but I try to watch just to get a name and a face and see what kind of music they're doing. And, you know, is it very reminiscent of something else that I've known before or do they bring a couple of elements together that make it different? But there's a kind of, at least to me, a very much of a sameness with a, a lot of it. Um, and when someone comes out with a, you know, a hard rock act again, uh, like those guys, uh, Greta, they're doing Led Zeppelin, basically. Um, and there's a whole generation now that just loves them. Greta, I should have gone and seen them live when they were not that far from my place. But that's sort of like, wow, they still like that kind of music. But it depends who the person is. Everybody really kind of has their own thing. And the only time I know they're, at least in my classes, hip to the stuff from the past is they use it as their soundtracks, you know, in their little short films. And I said, you know that song? It's like, oh yeah, I love this song. My dad played it all, you know, because I'm basically grandpa, you know, and I'm still <laughs> active. Greta Van Fleet. Uh, I wanna, you know, I want them to hear the old stuff. I want to, you know, keep doing uh, original stuff, but it, most of it kind of harks back to rhythm and blues and the stuff with the, you know, the, the Stones and the Yardbirds and all those groups, even the early Beatles did, that influenced us. Uh, now I have a new group that we're hoping to start to actually go into the uh, the horror conventions with uh, called Horror Rocks. And we put together basically probably about 50 songs at this point that are really great songs, you know, ACDC songs, of course, Alice songs, um, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, Kill, um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Pet Cemetery by the Ramones, all of these songs that if you're a horror fan, you go, yeah, I love, it, you know, and do the Saturday night VIP parties at the, at the horror conventions and be playing stuff that everybody either knows, you know, from the past or knows in relationship to this, you know, this movie and then do visuals with it and you know have hopefully guest artists people that are at the convention who also sing or play a musical instrument so they can you know guest up there and do some you know the tunes with us and you know hope that great day comes and that alice would be there and he can you know get up and do the couple of songs from you know jason lives whatever but it's it, i'm very excited about this concept because it is something there it's like we could play a club and they would know that music and it seems sort of like we're doing covers, but with visuals. But if you play the horror conventions, you know, that's our music, guys. You know, that's from those movies that, you know, we grew up loving. Um, and try to, you know, try to do it as authentic as, as possible. Okay. I have to um, contact maybe uh, Deej, who just did um, started Spookala. Um, they're doing their second convention in December. And they've had bands there. Um, Ice Nine Kills played there. And I forget, I think... Um, uh, Corey Taylor played while he was there and stuff, but uh, they'd probably like to have you guys there. That'd be uh, fun if you wanted to uh, maybe see about coming to Florida. I'm sure they would do it. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's kind of just working out the logistics because it's, you know, you know, it's like flying, you know, four or five guys out there, you know, mm -hmm, and yeah. you know, all that stuff. But, you know, it makes it worth their while ultimately with, you know, VIPs parties being more popular because people want to you know, see the band or see some of the guests that were at the convention performing, you know, I think there's, there's definitely something there. And I mean, I, I can't stop rocking. I mean, it's still in my blood.
shows um, kind of guesting in other people's bands. Um, got gigs and he's like, hey, you want to come down and do a few numbers? And it's like, yeah. And it was fun when I was at uh, Monster Mania, um, I guess it was last year, and, and got up with the, uh, he had Elvi and did, uh, you know, the man behind the mask and the monster mash with them. And, you know, again, it was great fun to get out there and, you know, be with the fans and sing the, and the songs and kind of doing that side of my life that never gone away since I, I was doing it in the 60s. Right. Um, got another Horror Lives Matter question. Uh, did you watch the Netflix true crime show about the same murder you made into your TV film, uh, The Staircase Murders? Do you think he is guilty? Good question. Wow. Um, you know, I started to watch it. And, it, you know, because I had to do it as a TV movie, we had to take that whole story and go, you know, and make it work in a two hour time slot. And they had, I don't know how many episodes to do. So I was watching the first one and I'm going, that whole first hour we had to do in about three minutes. So it was sort of like, I was going, oh, come on, you know, I want to get to the next step because I was already ahead, you know, knowing the story so well and having, you know, done it. Um, so I never, and I know it came out really well and I know those are two brilliant actors and one of these days I'm going to have to sit down and, and watch it, but no, I, I didn't. Um, and I'm sure they did a you know, great job with it. And is he guilty? Oh, hell yes, he's guilty. Um, there's no two ways about it. It was, it was wonderful when we were doing it because I had seen that there's an incredible documentary that was already done you know, called The Staircase. And they got two guys who had won the Oscars um, on another documentary about somebody that was in prison for something he didn't do. And they did a whole kind of insightful thing and it helped get the guy out ultimately. And when they went into the, the staircase thing, basically Michael Peterson said, you know, I want you to, you know, see what goes on. I want you to see, you know, that I didn't do this stuff. And this, a lot of the footage and the way he talked and the things he did became very clear that he was manipulating, you know, the documentarians and what he wanted them to see and not see and, and what he wanted them not to use and use. And this, of course, is controversial, whether that was true <laughs> or not. But I took the position that, yeah, he was a very manipulative guy. He hated the cops. He had these this secret life that I don't, I don't know how much this uh, recent thing showed of that, that was kind of hinted upon, you know, what was on his computer and stuff that he didn't want people to see. So he erased that stuff. But just the whole thing of the, the amount of blood on the staircase and saying that his wife just tumbled down, it is just completely illogical beyond belief. Yet they still had to defend him because nobody was there to actually witness it. You know, and there's all that stuff that can happen where, you know, they say, you know, like it's got to be 100 percent proved that, that this without a shadow of a doubt, you know, they did this for them to be you know, guilty or not guilty. Then he had somebody else in Germany when he was over there that also supposedly fell down a flight of stairs and, you know, was also, you know, believed to be beaten, you know, to death. Um, and they dug up this person's body. And the amazing thing is this, in I guess it was in Texas where it was very hot. Um, and somehow the humidity or whatever there, when they dug this up, this woman was perfectly preserved and they did an autopsy on her and the same kind of wounds were not stair wounds. They were, you know, object blunt 
you know, trauma wounds were on that. And he was there in that same, you know, so there's so many things that are really hard to say that's just coincidence. I mean, you know, so, but he was again, very determined, got very on, on getting as many lawyers and his people on his side, including, you know, a film crew. But from everything that, that I saw from anybody that would talk to me, it was just like when I was interviewing people from DC Sniper when we did that story, you know, I needed to find out stuff before I could go out there and do it, that I could say from everything that we find out now, this is true. And they had just found these guys six months earlier, but these FBI people were willing to break their gag order to give me information. I don't know why, I guess they just thought it was cool to have information that other people didn't have and it was gonna go in the movie. Um, and it was one of those things where again, there was, there was no two ways about it, but what do I do with a story that everybody knows so well? I kind of took the opinion that what's here is a really tragic father-son story, you know, between this guy, Mohammed, and this kid, Malvo, and he did this kind of same thing, sort of like with Pamela and Jason. He, the things he did and the way he kind of programmed this young, impressionable kid and taught him that thing. Exchange password required. Amazing. What's that? Um, and oh, no. when you start to realize exactly how it's done, it was really, really frightening. Something happened? That was weird. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Give me a there was something. Uh, a voice some robot voice popped in saying something about a password required. <laughs> it was weird. It threw us off. I don't know. Yeah. All, all I did all I did was unplug my charger. I don't know if yeah. it was that or but I've never heard that before, though. Hmm. But I, I bring anyway. a, a bevy of spirits with me wherever I go. <laughs> well, we got spirits in this house. So. Yeah, we got spirits. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> um, so speaking of true crime, is there any uh, true crime, whether it's recent or further in the past, that you would like to do a movie on? Hmm. Right. Nobody's asked me that in so long because that's all I did for so many years. Um something recent that that's really intriguing. I know there's been a couple of things where I went, oh boy, somebody's going to do that on Lifetime or someplace because they don't do them on network anymore. They usually now make them into huge HBO things. Uh, what was it that just recently I thought just so fascinating? Um, I'm sorry. You know, it's one of those ones if I knew in advance, I could <laughs> probably... <laughs> Maybe I jotted it down to remember. Um, I, I can't think. I, there's just those those things that come along too. That you know, the recent death of the actress. Um, uh, from Psycho. Um, oh, Anne Hesh. Anne Hesh. That whole thing is that unfolded here that day. I don't know why it hit me, but for three or four days afterwards. I was really haunted by her and what happened and those stories that came up about her going to somebody's house and talking about aliens and and then the guy that she just before this crash happened that she went and bought these silks or something from and he he said that she just was completely normal and nice and he did a selfie with her and her in the car and and then suddenly this ride to craziness, you know, and crashing into something and crashing into the other thing and setting the 
house on fire and 40 firemen showing up and her, you know, having these horrible burns and stuff and then them waiting because she had already said she wanted to donate her body parts. So, you know, they, they needed to make sure all that was taken care of before they could declare she was actually dead. And then I went back and looked at her body of work and there's so much that she had done and things. And I thought, this is just a, such a weird death and just a weird situation with all that. Um, and I don't know if there's a big story in it, but just every so often something like that will occur. And you just kind of wonder why did, why was her last act like that? You know, why was it going out in that very awful, awful situation? And I only heard, you know, she was a really wonderful, sweet woman who loved to work a lot. And she certainly did huge body of work. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just in terms of any like these, you know, big crime things, there's been so many uh, these days that until you really, somebody does a book, you see all the real bizarre intricacies of these things. Because so many of the things I did were based on books, you know, uh, Murder in Greenwich, um, Murder of Innocence, the one that Valerie Burton, Burton Alley did. Um, uh, obviously, the uh, In a Child's Name, which is kind of the first thing, it's a huge book. And the great thing about books is you can read and get all these details and all the characters and what the parents thought and stuff. And now you really can look at the case as a real thing, you know, and, and it's just not somebody that's went off one night, you know, it's, it's all kind of leading towards this inevitable outcome. And that's, that to me is the scary thing. And people see it and it's like, not my problem, you know, or I don't want to get involved. <laughs> I think a good one. It's just my opinion, but I watched I watched a little bit of the court case. I, I like watching court cases. I'm weird, but um, there was this guy in Wisconsin. His name was Chris. For the last, his last name escapes me at the moment, but it was like after July Fourth, not this one. I think it was a couple years ago. He reported his parents as missing, but he was like an adult man. I forget his age. We'll say thirty. And he reported his parents as missing. He still lived at home. And he said that they had went off with some friends to go somewhere. And then, you know, it goes on for a while. And they end up talking to these friends and whatnot. And they're like, where are they, basically? And so they end up putting a missing report in saying that they were missing. And come to find out, it gets exposed that, one, he killed his parents. He dismembered them, hid them like uh, different places. Uh, the parts of their body were found in the house and the fireplace. Uh, he took some of them out in the woods, a different location. Um, he lied about having a job, going to school. Like his whole life was basically a lie. And it ends up coming out of all this. And there was really they like supported him and he lived in their house and yeah. there was like no tendencies of having a background in anything like no flag rig flag saying this kid is going to like snap or whatever. And he just up and murders his parents one day. And yeah. what was weird about the court case is they brought in the girlfriend to testify and um, the lawyer, not his lawyer, but the other lawyer was saying, you know, she absolutely had no part in this, like was emphasizing it to the jury. And I was like, ah, I don't know, because she had actually stayed in the house 
after he murdered and cleaned up the parents it stayed in the house and some of the body parts were actually found on um some of her relations uh i forget how they were related some of her relations land like he went out to visit and then just dumped some of the body out in their land there so there was like yeah she had absolutely nothing to do with it and i was like i don't know i think she might have known a little bit more than what you're letting on <laughs> it was crazy i wish i could remember his last name for the life of me but yeah if you look up uh, uh chris something that murdered his parents in wisconsin you'd probably find it <laughs> it happened not too far away from here well it'd be fun to see behind the scenes of uh johnny depp and uh, amber heard <laughs> yeah i've heard there was a. Uh, somebody was going to do a documentary but always people have usually when people do a documentary they don't always look at both sides not all but some documentaries don't always look at both yeah. sides of the side with one way or another and what i've heard so far is the ones that are talking about it now are siding with her so i don't know what side you're on but i watched every minute of that case because like i said i'm weird i like watch court cases <laughs> and i watched every minute of that and yeah i'm definitely at first long time ago i did side with her and then i seen her dispositions in the uk case that had that wasn't against uh her but it was against the sun paper and i saw her des uh, her on the stand there and i'm like there's no way this bitch is telling the truth. <laughs> There's yeah. no way. Excuse my language, but no. She's rolling her eyes and eating food on the stand. I'm like, really? <laughs> and then it comes here to America, and I watched more of the case and learned. I was like, yeah, no. I'm not saying it was a pleasant. Everybody was great. I'm sure Johnny had his parts, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Not saying he's hundred percent innocent, but yeah, there's yeah, there's no way that all of that is that she claims is true. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, as much as I guess it was entertaining, and I certainly love some of Johnny's reactions and his one-liners and things. It was just kind of fun to see the, the lawyers of Mega Pine. A Mega Pine. Yeah, Mega Pine. Exactly the one I'm trying to think of. You know, and just. The way he would sort of process it, like he does, you know, as an actor, you know, in those kinds of scenes, and but it was like so much personal stuff too that you kind of go, yeah, you know, I don't want to be hearing about, you know, what he found on his pillow, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, bad dog, yeah, but you know, at the same time, it would certainly gave America a lot of uh, distraction post right. you know, the COVID, yeah. Um, is, is there any novel you would uh, love to make or see as a movie? Uh, his is Swan Song by Robert uh, McCammon. Oh, that's a good one. I hope you do that. That's, that'd be great. Um, is there something? Um, well, you know, it's weird because this isn't really like what you call a classy novel novel, but I think if you're uh, an older fan or even if you go back and kind of look at some of the horror movies and things from the 70s, um, there was a number of books that were done uh, by this author on the character Dr. Fives that Vincent Price, Vincent Price played in 1971, and then they did a sequel almost immediately, uh, Fives Rides Again, uh, or Fives Rises Again. And um, I, I, a 
producer, you know, asked me if I'd be interested in doing an updated version of that. And so I started to go back and read a lot of the stuff. And it's, it's, it's really out there. But the thing that I kind of really love about it um, is that there's a kind of a classic, if you saw the movie, the original one in particular, it has kind of a classic gothic love story of Vincent and this woman that he so loved her and things. And he gets in this horrible car crash that mutilates him and she is dying and goes into a surgery and there's these, you know, surgeons that are supposed to, you know, help her and save her, but they don't. She dies. And he becomes obsessed with going after each one of these guys, but also he was a, like a vaudevillian, like magician and showman. So everything that he does is very fantastic and showy. Um, so it has a great theatricality, you know, to the whole thing. And just very, very bizarre ideas about preserving somebody after death till you get to the point where you know you can resurrect them and, you know, stalling off death to a series of things for yourself, but still, you know, you're decomposing underneath, but you've made this makeup and in this case, you know, like Vincent Price, just like these very kind of twisted, weird ideas that I thought, that could be done again, and he could be, to me, be a very interesting kind of, you know, old, iconic character from that period that's sort of been forgotten about. And, you know, this could kind of go on with a bunch of different, you know, interpretations or like a, you know, like the Bates Motel or something, you know, where it's like a horror thing that, you know, could run a few seasons. But, you know, the, this producer I know has the rights and the original writer, you know, is involved and, I'm going, well, this could be fun. You know, kind of go off the books and things that he wrote. But as I said, it's not what you call like a you know great novel because those those are so hard to score. You know, the ones that are really great, they already buy them in the galleys, you know, and if they get out there, then so many people are gonna you know, jump on them so fast. But this kind of came kind of through the back door for me, and I would love to see if that will all kind of work out. All right, let's see. Uh, let's see. Did you have any other questions, Boom, on your end? Um, just other little theory things to throw in for like the possible the future Jason <laughs> movies. But but yeah, I like your concept with the bringing the dad into it. I think that would be good because we really don't know much about his dad, unless of course you watch the I guess the fan film. I haven't got a chance to see it, so I don't know how much he's portrayed in it. But um. If Jason would ever go to anywhere else besides New York or space or whatever, where would you like him to go? Mm. Miami Beach. No. Miami um, Beach. <laughs> Put him in a rock, to a rock concert or a festival. <laughs> there we go. A festival or rock concert. That would be a fun. rave. Oh, well, he was kind of in a rave before. And he gets he gets sucked into the Bermuda Triangle down there somehow. Yo, yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's a good question. It's, it's so hard because um, I've spent so many years like thinking about, you know, do we want to see him out of that environment that is always kind of looked at as you know the scary thing? Is there another forest that he'd be in? But why? And um, what would? You know, I mean, that whole concept of Jason goes to Manhattan. I thought. Sounded funny and would have been, I think, a ball to have done some stuff there where it's, it sort of was like an accident, some way, how he ends up there. 
But then it's like he's this infamous New York serial killer behind this mask and stuff. It just seemed like there was a lot that could have been um, mined out of that. And, and you know, maybe the writer-director you know, had that planned and then budget-wise, it just couldn't do it. It was like Vancouver and, you know, on a yacht and <laughs> what little they could do in, you know, downtown uh, Times Square there. But, I mean, just that concept of him in a big city in some logical way that that would happen. I liked your cousin when you said put him in another forest anywhere because that kind of goes to what I had an idea of. Like, take him to, like, Washington State, and Washington's usually famous for, like, Bigfoot sightings. So stick him in those forests and have him fight Bigfoot. <laughs> Just have some corny-ass movie. I like the corny ones. I'm sorry. <laughs> My husband said England, so he ain't Well, we'll just make that a fan movie. He can make that. Probably. <laughs> um, who, who would you cast as uh, Fives if you did that movie? Well, we already have somebody who said yes, and I don't know if um, I'm supposed to allow that out yet. Um, okay. But I promise you, you won't be disappointed in terms of somebody that is an iconic actor and certainly been associated with the genre and probably one of the most infamous, let just say violent films in film history. And that's all I'm going to say. That's it. <laughs> I, I don't know yet, but I was very stoked, very excited to hear that. that that's a we'll just have to keep an eye out for that then. Um, and well, we're, we're, we're working on it, guys. I'm, hope, I'm hoping I can pull this together, get they can pull it together. So, uh, who would you like to see as Jason today? Well, I'm very loyal to my C.J. Graham, um, mm -hmm. 35, 36 years now. You know, we've remained very good friends, not just going to the uh, conventions together. It's like, you know, he gets something and he goes, uh, hey, why don't you give my pal, uh, you know, Tom on this too? And somebody will call and say, yeah, C.J. said, you, you know, and do the same thing for him. It's like we're, and when I was writing Jason Never Dies, that's all I pictured in terms of, you know, he looked, his look. Way he moves, all of that. Um, not that I have a thing against Kane Hodder. I thought Kane brought stuff, stuff to that role no one has done before, which is great. But, you know, all the guys all have something yeah. unique about it. But just for me, and just how we kind of bonded with the Jason character on that whole resurrection thing, and how he was going to move after he had been, you know, electrified. You know, it's just that kind of touch of that slightly Terminator. You know sharper moves and things that he did, you know, kind of CJ and I was kind of on the page of putting that together. So I kind of stay, stay loyal there. Right. I forgot when I was re-watching it, um, the beginning of it, like when he first comes back, it almost has like a little James Bond kind of feel, but him as Jason, instead of the gun and bullet, you got the machete going down. Uh, so I guess, was that a little inspiration there you thought of doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the first movie my father took me to when I was a kid was uh, Dr. No. And, you know, I was just blown away by James Bond. I mean, it was at my age, it was like, I got to be him. And suddenly all my little eight millimeter horror movies that I was making, you know, suddenly became James Bond and horror <laughs> James Bond. And, you know, because I wasn't quite ready for girls yet. Um, but it was it was one of those things where it just stuck, and so I saw you know a huge 
Sean Connery fan, kind of, you know, stayed with the series, kind of got away from it a bit with the Roger Moore period of some of them, and then kind of got back on, you know, when Daniel Craig, you know, came involved. But anyway, back then, the only, like, long franchise uh, series was the Bond movies, and Jason now was going into part six. And I thought, you know, why not do a nod to, you know, this childhood hero of mine and put Jason in that circle. And it also kind of set the tone of saying, look, we're going to have fun with this. It's not going to just be, you know, straight ahead, you know, slasher. It's going to have a sense of humor, you know, try to put some things in there that's sort of different, you know, whether it's an underwater fight or car chase or having all the kids actually there, um, you know, instead of asleep, you know, in their beds. I, you know, all of that to me kind of was saying we want to make it more of a movie. And I really, I've always kind of talked about film is kind of a, like a personal vision of some sort of smaller intimate story, although it's obviously used for everything now, you know, film by film by. But I've always thought films were a little more cinema and movies are like shit. These are for us. These are for us mud people, you know. We go in there and want to see a good movie, you know, and something's going to entertain us, you know. Terminator, that's a movie, you know. It's like you go and Jaws, movie, you know. It, although it has a lot of incredible art, you know, that that to me was the, the, the whole thing about uh, my Jason was I wanted to make it, you know, not a slasher film, but it was going to be just an entertaining movie, you know, with, with Jason and, and friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Merkins, but they make oh, like yeah. uh, parody music. They have this one video where, like, him and uh, uh, it was like Jason Freddy, and I forget, I think it was Ghostface, maybe Leatherface. It's been a minute since I've seen it, but they're all holding hands, skipping down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you should go on because that's the only one you've seen. You have to go on their site. Yeah, I, I follow their YouTube. I've seen all. more since a minute. It's been a while since I've seen that video in particular, but <laughs> they really, really. The, the recent Forrest Gump one was funny that they made. Yeah, Forrest it was. I like the Ice Ice Baby. I've seen <laughs> that they actually gave that uh, Halloween mask where they gave the Ice Ice Baby thing. They actually gave it to Vanilla Ice. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what they called the song, but it was basically the Ice Ice Baby with Michael Myers. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're great. Yeah. I love them. Uh, well, nice, guys, nice I've, got, I've got another thing in 10 minutes. so I've Okay. Been, yeah, that's fine. I was going to say, water. I think that's pretty much it. Unless hey, anything more you want to tell us or that you can um, or, or no, appearances no, 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 or anything at all. Right now, we're just waiting for the, the decision, obviously, is, is you know, Jason never dies and or you know Pamela Voorhees the, the diary of Pamela Voorhees uh the rock and roll thing obviously I'm, I'm you know hoping we can get that out to you you know ask your local convention you know horror rocks with that's uh h-o-r-r-o-r-o-x-x -X. so it looks you know anthrax kind of you know definitely looks heavy metal the logo but I you know I kept thinking about you know what what's a cool name there's a lot of cool names but I thought why not just say what it is? It's horror and it's rock and roll, you know, and <laughs> and, and to me, horror rocks. So, I, you know, it, it just kind of fit for that, that. And most of that stuff is kind of in that metal category. Although, you know, Sympathy for the Devil is one of them too, you know, from uh, Interview with the Vampire. And there's 
been some you know great songs over the years that have been used in, in the movies. Um, and if, if, you, if you haven't seen a list of them, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> anyway, no, I guess that's that's pretty much it. And uh, you know, I hope to meet you guys some point at uh, you know uh, convention or some some place that. Uh, or maybe out. camp again. I don't know. I wish I could have gone last year, but <laughs> maybe oh, yeah, is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love. I loved being on location. That was such a great experience. <laughs> so, but uh, it looks like uh, Horror Lives. He said this was worth staying up to one forty-five a.m. I guess obviously some time difference there. He said that you're a fantastic guest and filmmaker. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we always love that. having you. So, <laughs> I'm, 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 Late yeah, night, a vampire after my own heart there. <laughs> so. You have a great night. All right. Thanks again. Okay. Great. Take care, you guys. You too. Bye. Bye.